Welcome to Giraffe Tango Octopus, Freedom for Humans with Kirsten Johansson. Kirsten and her guests are here to help you stop struggling with your own self-acceptance and teach you how to love yourself unconditionally. Now, here's Kirsten. Welcome to GTO Freedom for Humans, where we talk about the ways in which we as humans can free ourselves from suffering by practicing unconditional love, acceptance, and compassion for ourselves. I am Kirsten, your host. We have a really fun show for you today, and I have an awesome guest, Dr. Bree Hazlip. Yay! Bree, welcome to Freedom for Humans. Thank you. I appreciate the invitation. This is so dope, Kirsten. Thank it you. Is. Well, thank you for coming on. Let me tell listeners about you. Make sure you tell them the good juicy stuff too. Don't lie to them, Kirsten. Well, <laughs> <laughs> so Dr. Bree is an equity consultant, therapist, writer, and retired psychology professor. After retiring in 2020, Dr. Bree helped achieve historical success co-leading the Racial Equity Strategic Plan as the Director of Equity, Inclusion, and Community Engagement for Planned Parenthood of the Great Northwest, Hawaiian Islands, Indiana, and Kentucky. She is now the CEO and Principal Consultant of the Executive Coaching and Consulting Firm, Evolution Engineered Incorporated whose services focus on supporting individuals and organizations through the aftermath of post-pandemic trauma. Oh boy, do we need that. Her company provides coaching services to, yes, to individuals, relationships, and families who are ready to take their healing journey beyond traditional therapy. Similarly, her consulting and executive coaching services provide professional development that inspires personal evolution. This work is aimed at healing organizational trauma and offering support systems to improve organizational health and effectiveness. Her track record of success includes over 15 years of studying the science of trauma and over 15,000 hours teaching the art of healing. As an HBCU graduate and social scientist with over 120 national and international publications, her work centers individual healing as a catalyst for positive social change. Quote, our healing is our justice. This mission is not only the vision of Evolution Engineered Incorporated, it is her guiding force as a mother of her three brilliant daughters and her puppy, Aurora. Wow, Dr. Bree. Thank you. Holy buckets. That is Thank a wonderful you. body of work. And I had to, I had to edit a few things out. <laughs> just to squeeze everything in. So that's not even the, that's not even the whole of it. I appreciate that. Thank you. I really so much share that philosophy that healing at the individual level is the path forward for change and healing kind of us all collectively. That's it. That's it. I, I, you know, one question sparked this work for me. That's why the art of asking questions is such a huge part of healing. But the one question for me that really changed things is um, how different would your life be if your parents had the, the chance to heal their emotional wounds? And it just broke my heart open and it broke my mind open with how much we want to change everything out in the world and help the world with these perceived problems. but we're not really looking at how we're showing up every day broken and hurt 
and how much of our trauma is being transferred through that. And so what can we really put out in the world if we're hurting, if we're really hurting? And the pandemic, on top of everything else, um, now it's about how do we show up now, understanding that most most of us are running around in active trauma. Yes. So how, you know, how do we, how are we going to relate to each other when we're hurting? And so the real justice for us is, is having a chance to heal. And, you know, it's, um, it's interesting that you brought up the art of asking uh, questions. Mm. So we, <laughs> we came into each other's orbits uh, professionally and um, I had an opportunity to be trained by you um, in a professional setting. And it was an equity training, uh, racial equity tra- training for leaders was kind of the, uh, the gist of it. And mm-hmm. I had uh, experienced your questions before because I had multiple opportunities to interact with you. And, you know, some of them on the surface seem, I don't know, like <laughs> not that big of a deal. Right. But. Oof. So I'm in the training with you. And, you know, my background is the the probably six, seven, eight months preceding me sitting in this training with you. I had blown up everything that I believed about myself. Mm-hmm. I finally came to understand that all of the th- all of the the rules and standards and perfectionism and all the things I thought I had to be in order to be valuable and be lovable and be accepted. Yeah. It was all made up. <laughs> it was all made up. Yeah. It was all lies that I believed and cultivated over the course of my life. And I lived my life by it. And oh my goodness. And so I think, oh, so thankfully I'm in the process of just blowing all that up. And I'm, I'm like just this sort of vulnerable little being who is learning how to live a new life really. Um, And so I'm sitting there in this training and the question that, that um, was asked, it wasn't directly, it wasn't directly for me. I, you, you have people pick numbers often, I think. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And then you, right. (laughs) Right. Exactly. (laughs) For those of you who can't see Brie, just like rubbed her hands together. Like, ah, ah, it's, it's, yes. Yes. I love it. This is my Austin Powers master plan. <laughs> right. So I, I even remember my, the number I chose. Isn't that funny? So I choose number four. And um, the question was, I believe, I think it was, what do you believe about white men? Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. So on the surface, I don't know, maybe that question doesn't seem like a big deal, but I, I remember sitting there kind of frozen and kind of sweaty and you were changing uh, well I was very uncomfortable and (laughs) (laughs) remember you know emotions are in the body first you were like breaking something through that you don't normally tap into so you were definitely having a physiological response at the same time I I was and (laughs) I I couldn't even like my brain couldn't really put together what I would have called a coherent um, response to that. And so when we came together, I'm um, in this small group that we were in to share our, you know, our questions and so forth. Uh, all I could get out was, 
that they need to try to be different or something. <laughs> you were serious though. It was oh, so honest. I was you were very, so honest. Well, I didn't, well, I didn't really know what to say and I didn't know what was happening in my body exactly. <laughs> um, and I, <laughs> and interestingly, as I look back on it a little bit, I, it felt like a bit of a betrayal. Yes, that's what it was. You were breaking the rule of, of one of the stories, one of these neuro pathways that you've practiced to be true. And you could feel it. I hope your listeners hear that. Like your body <laughs> reacts when you're evolving out of something that is uh, potentially traumatic for you. Yes. And, you know, I'm I'm someone, well, and also you, <laughs> I'm pretty sure you said this, um, at some point in the times that we interacted and and correct me if I misquote you, but it was something along the lines of when white people talk about race, they're going to sound racist. So just get over <laughs> it because if you, don't, if you don't get over that fear, you can't really talk about race. <laughs> exactly. Every, that's how, that, that tracks, Kirsten. That sounds like something I would say. Right. Um, <clears throat> Absolutely. It's funny because just this weekend I was telling um, one of my friends that whose uh, son is biracial, black and white. And I was saying, you have to teach your kids the difference between white people being white and racism. There's some things that are just like, this is the outcome and how you see the world. And so you have questions that seem really ridiculous at times, or you say things that seem really like, obvious, but it's not obvious to you if that's not your lived experience. And it doesn't mean that you're, you know, a terrible person or or even that in that moment you're being racist. But there's some things you just gotta <laughs> you have to understand about the human condition. It, exactly. Exactly. So I'm someone who's wanting to be part of, you know, this is this is late 2020. So we're yeah. in the heat. We're in the heat of everything. And I'm someone yeah. who wants to be part of things getting better and moving forward. And I I realized, and so, okay, so I give my answer and I'm all sweaty and all that. And we're on screens, of course, because it's 2020. And you lean in and I don't remember your, I don't exactly remember the words. I remember you leaned in, you used my name which is a, I think, a really effective strategy, like to really get somebody, you kind of like you can really engage somebody, you can use their name. And I saw, I saw the emotion in you. And I, again, I don't remember the words, but I remember the realization. And I remember how I felt like it was like my, my whole brain cracked open. And I was like, wait a minute, I've been contributing to white male power my entire career while wanting to be part of racial equity and not knowing that because I was so firmly indoctrinated, all my mentors were white men. I mm. had an alpha male father. Like I just, that's all I knew. And mm. And I feel like in in that, you can tell me if this is true or not, that 
structure, that sort of white male structure, it teaches you that there is a right way of doing things and that it is our way. And that if you want to be part of this, you need to just get on board. Mm, mm. Welcome to the social contracts. Let's, uh, um, Let's unpack that a little bit too. Do you remember what I told you? I, I probably don't. I was having like a, a whole moment. <laughs> You're right. That's not fair for me to ask you to go. <laughs> I re- um, Yeah. I'm the visceral memory is here, but yes, please tell me, please tell me. The, uh, what I shared with you was that we have to feel into the fact that a big part of how we experience racism in our culture comes through these social contracts and white women. And I learned this a lot. I understood this a lot working at Planned Parenthood that white women have a social contract with white men to ignore so many things, including violence, discrimination, abuse, misuse, all of those things in order to be elevated into a sense of safety, albeit false, and then elevated above black men in our society, that their word would be stronger than other men. And that's an important thing to hold on to because you use the word betrayal, that there was some sense of betrayal if you said that how you felt about white men, especially to a black woman. Yes. And that is why it felt like you were breaking your brain over because it's something that truly as a black woman, I can, I can feel in society. That's why one phone call from you can change the course of someone's life. But what are you actually giving up? And that was the question I asked you. What, are, what what do you get in exchange? And you started unpacking, am I really safe? Am I really getting the safety and elevation um, that I've bought into and at what cost? Well, and, you know, ultimately that we're, you know, we're still women are still not paid equally. We're still not, <laughs> we're, we're objectified. You know, when we do rise into leadership and positions of power, our appearance is often, you know, used to disempower us. You know, there's so many ways in which we, in fact, don't don't get what we think we're going to get by signing on to that system and really trying to get in there and compete, right? Like to get in there and compete with with our white male counterparts, it's not, it's not, it's not leading us where we hope that it leads us. I think. Here's what's funny. The contract never said that you'll be able to compete with white males. It says that you'll be able to compete above black and brown males and black and brown women. Mm. That's the falsehood of it. Cause it still keeps something else in power. Mm. Well, and then, I mean, how, how do we how do we truly i mean how do we truly move equity forward because white women are such a we're such a huge group of people 
and collectively we're we're powerful so it seems like it really really matters what we do with that power and those numbers and and also um the privilege that we carry with us um mm. that comes with being white mm. one of the first things we talked about in that training is how it's time for all of us to um <clears throat> just reify and change the definition of how we understand privilege. Privilege isn't power. It is where you have responsibility. And I think it's important to start noticing that, that we've learned privilege is power. And that's dangerous because when we think that privilege is power, we think that because you are born a certain way, you don't have power. And that's just not true. Mm. And so where you have privilege, you're supposed to show up. Right. Right. Um, we're just coming up to our first break. Um, and the, the, one of the other things that I remember being trained on is, uh, privilege as medicine instead of privilege as poison. All right. So, um, Ooh, we got to talk. Let's go. Yes, we get right. <laughs> All right. Um, we have been discussing, uh, well, we've been discussing race, really, with my guest, um, Dr. Bree. Um, after the break, we're going to get into blissipline and mm-hmm. feeling through mm-hmm. and the four root identities, the first of which is race. So we've already kind of started to tackle that. And um, we will be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Are you tired of overeating, overspending, drinking too much, or being in relationships that drain you? Do you have invasive thoughts that make you feel bad about yourself and your life? Do you keep pushing yourself to the next goal only to find that it doesn't bring you happiness? You don't have to live this way. You can live a life of well-deserved freedom and happiness. Coach Kirsten Johansson is here to guide you. Book your free discovery session today at GiraffeTangoOctopus.com. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. Are you tired of overeating, overspending, drinking too much, or being in relationships that drain you? Do you have invasive thoughts that make you feel bad about yourself and your life? Do you keep pushing yourself to the next goal only to find that it doesn't bring you happiness? You don't have to live this way. You can live a life of well-deserved freedom and happiness. Coach Kirsten Johansson is here to guide you. Book your free discovery session today at GiraffeTangoOctopus.com. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to Giraffe Tango Octopus, Freedom for Humans. 
Have your own story or have questions for Kirsten or her guests? Join us on the show at 866-472-5788. That's 866-472-5788. Now back to the show. Welcome back to Freedom for Humans. This is Kirsten, your host, and we're speaking with Dr. Bree Hazlip today, really about healing. Um, I would say the overarching, probably the overarching topic today is healing. Yeah. Uh, so, Bree, we were just talking about um, the first of the root identities, um, yeah, which is race. And um, as we kind of move into the next thing, do you find it? Uh, do you find that people who are white have not been asked to to talk about their race or think about their race um yeah i think um more so is is that when you are part of a culturally dominant identity you are not taught to have to look at yourself period um and a big part of that is because you don't have to right like the for for instance and in the case of a, a gender, I have to examine my gender because I am a woman. And I have to understand that from a perspective because, um, and this is going to be hard to hear, I think, for some people, but I also had to share this with my partner as we gave birth to three girls. But it is that women are born in the world prey. Mm-hmm. And what's awful about that is that you have to start understanding that as a young woman. Um, at a very, very young age, and how to maneuver in a world where if at any time a male wanted to, they could violate your body yes. without your permission. Yes. And it's just it's just a fucking reality. And I know it's awful to hear, but we don't talk about it. But so you have to learn the prey, study the predator. And I'm not talking about every man. I'm talking about male as it is experienced through femaleness, what it is like to have a vagina with penises on the planet. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And there's just a reality that you have to learn um, the dominant group. And so the the non-dominant group studies in a way that the dominant group doesn't have to. And and I think that is why white people uh, don't always have an opportunity or create opportunities because the privilege of being white is that you don't have to you can learn about race. You don't have to experience it. Yes. So you have to make an active effort to experience it um, and, and learn in a different way because that's your privilege. You don't have to. Yes. And, you know, I I very much hold the same perspective that you just described about um, gender and being a woman in the world and, um, you know, being a a woman who was born in 1970, there was literally like a rape culture mm-hmm. where where women were raped and assaulted and it was barely even considered a crime. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I also was, you know, and so, and I also found the world to be quite dangerous um, in terms of um, violence and other types of aggression um, from men. And, you know, it starts pretty early um, in our lives and it does make the world feel like a dangerous place, feel like a place where when you walk out your door, 
you you're mm-hmm. already thinking about ways in which you need to protect yourself. And the crux of it too, Kirsten, is that it's not even walking out your door. <laughs> you know, I've been working yeah. with trauma and abuse and survivors of sexual abuse, childhood sexual trauma, men and women. And it is generally close to you. It's not outside your door. And so there's also the other layers of it. But you touched on something really powerful, which is, I think, um, why these core identities intersect. If you feel like that as a white woman, as a woman, and then now a white woman, then why would you go into that contract with white men? Okay, so this is why. Yes, well, I'll tell you, <laughs> I'll tell you, I'll just, this is mm-hmm. part, probably partly generational, but um, I was socialized to be pleasing to men, mm-hmm. to not be a bitch, mm-hmm. um, to be agreeable and affable, to look a certain way, to be pretty and attractive in the way that men thought I should be pretty and attractive. So it's an interesting dichotomy to be, be, you know, a victim of violence, for instance, um, by, by men, and also to have this drive to be pleasing and to be accepted by men. At the same time. Yes. And if that fear of, of men is inherently there, right? then the contract that white women have with white men is that I only have to be afraid of white men, not black and brown men. That's why it feels like you're getting something out of it unconsciously. Because when you are born prey in that way, making a contract is it feels like a, it feels like taking a plea bar, a plea deal, right? <laughs> it's like, mm. well, but the, here's the thing, though. The thing is, is that you can't say how afraid you are of them at times. That's the deal, because right. you're you're only allowed to be afraid of black and brown people, women mm. and men. So now we're getting that intersection of gender, which is why our healing is to look at these crazy contracts that we've made through transgenerational trauma, through you know passing having it passed on to us that we're supposed to be these things. My contract as a woman was that was in some of the same ways to be agreeable. But when you interloop that with my race, it's also to be um, hardworking, mm. like like the labor part of it, but also be cute and pretty and soft, but also hard and 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 strong. And the dichotomy of carrying those two things, because one of them is not a privileged position. Um, all of us have to sort through what the stories are that that keeps us from just being human. Mm-hmm, exactly. And living true to our our own self and our own spirit. And so for me, having those social contracts, not understanding that that's what it actually was, kept mm-hmm. me serving said contract. Right. So I just keep doing the things Mm. that I believe I need to do to meet the spirit of the contract, (laughs) even though I don't know that's what I'm doing. And it keeps me away from my own self, my own true, my own true identity, my own true self. Yeah. 
the power in it too, Kirsten, is that it, it's powerful when it's unconscious because that any rejected part of us, it gets power to lurk without us knowing. And I think uh, one of the, that moments you were saying, Oprah calls it aha moment, that mm -hmm. moment where you were having um, a breakthrough. Like, uh, I just think that that is, it's so powerful to create moments in your life where you have them. And a big part of that is, is, is not just the work that you were being given, but the fact that you were willing to go in a room and make a connection with people that are different than you. Because I'm going to have different questions. I'm going to have a different world. <laughs> I'm going to yes. have a different. And sharing things with you that are insights from my lived experience. Like, I think those are, those are where we get those aha moments and those breakthroughs. I agree. And like you, just because, uh, you know, I was, I was raised by a kind of an alpha male. I got very similar messages actually about strength, um, not showing any weakness, not ever crying, um, you know, not showing emotion, needing to be smart, needing to work hard. And I was supposed to be pretty and thin <laughs> <laughs> and thin. And, and pleasing mm -hmm. and whew, boy it was a tall order i did it i i mean i toiled away at it my whole life pretty much mm. Mm. Mm -hmm. here's the real question because once you start talking about uh, our our gender right and our mm -hmm. race you got to talk about sexuality that's the mm -hmm. other core identity and right. I had a chance um, in my dissertation when I was completing my doctorate, it was about um, heterosexual identity development. How do straight people become straight? <laughs> that was mm -hmm. my question. Mm -hmm. And part of the reason I went down that that path was specifically because uh, dominant cultural groups don't always get a chance to be asked questions. They're like, I'm just born straight, right? Like, <laughs> so the first thing that ended up being the first stage of this identity development was um, being able to disintegrate your gender from your sexuality and be able to look at those two things separately. And what we saw is that the first thing that people really had to delineate for their own mental health was, so this is my gender. Does this mean who I love and who I enjoy pleasure with? Is it connected to my gender, or is it something separate in me as a separate identity? Wow. What a fascinating question. Mm. Well, I'm asking it to you. <laughs> well, it's, not it's not rhetorical, Kirsten. <laughs> okay. So, okay. Yeah. You always ask the hard questions. So mine, I think, because of what I already explained about the way that I was socialized and also the era that I grew up in, which was pretty explicit, if I if if that's a good word, like the sexuality, what I had access to, the kinds of movies that I had, all that stuff was highly, highly accessible to me. And I was uh, very early in my sexual development. And I I very early went from working hard to have to try to get my dad to to finally accept me and say, okay, all right, you've done everything, you're good enough now. <laughs> um, 
Well, I pivoted to trying to get men romantically to accept me and love me and basically convey through that that I was valuable. And I used my sexuality um, to do that. And I ended up from the age of 15 to 39, never being without a man romantically. And it really, it really had a major impact on me. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Hey, okay. That's fair. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Wow. Mm -hmm. Being in relationships. So here's the, here's the intersection of that. <laughs> Most women are socialized to think that you cannot explore your sexuality unless it's relational. So the real question was, were you in relationships or were you doing a social contract so that you could see what you like <laughs> sexually so you could explore your sexual becoming? And that was just tied with the social contract. I got to be with somebody in a traditional way in order to understand this energetic force in my body. Well, you know, I, I have to say, I think it was part of the I think it was part of the contract, honestly. Mm, um, what do you mean? Break that down. Well, part of being pleasing and part of being accepted or considered valuable was for me to be the best, right? The best girlfriend, the best wife, the best partner, mm -hmm. the best in bed. Because if I'm the best, then maybe you won't betray me or leave me. And mm -hmm. so... Um, yes. I mean, I was, of course, I had a lot of sex because I was always with a man and, the, and sex was always a really key part of all of my relationships, but I did not explore my own, truly my own sexuality until I took a two and a half year break and was abstinent from relationships with men and sex with other humans. That was that. And that was when I was 49. So, I'm mm. and I'm 52 now. <laughs> so, <clears throat> toughest, one of the things that I teach to uh, young adults, and this was a tough conversation uh, in my marriage and as we were raising kids as well, but it's something that I believe in and that the science supports. And that is that we have to teach young people, particularly young women, to really explore self-pleasure because going into relationships we really, especially being young, you don't know your body and what pleasure feels like. And because of these social contracts, we go into it wanting to please someone else. Yes. And what they do to our body and how they engage with us, we start thinking that that's the norm. That's what we deserve. That's what it's supposed to feel like. And we have nothing even to offer them of what you enjoy. And so I think that it's so important that we in, in, encourage young people. I know this is taboo, but I'm just saying that it is also human to understand your body before you let someone else understand it and explore it. And that's a tough thing to, to live into, but it's more human than what we're doing. Well, yes, especially when, I mean, I, I was so young when I kind of got my start in that area and you know so much I, I had access to porn and everything back then mm -hmm. so 
you know, that's what was, that's, that's sort of what I had. Uh, yeah. Um, that's what I, <laughs> <laughs> You're like, that's what I had to work with. Well, that's think what about I, what, like, think about now. Well, right. Right. And so having spent those couple of years, um, two and a half years alone and, and exploring a great many things about myself and, and really coming to a place where it really only matters if it's okay with me. Like it has to be okay with me. It has to be something that I want. It has to be something that I enjoy because I spent all those years um, prioritizing men's pleasure yeah. uh, for sure. And so um, I have a wonderful partner now. And when we came together um, intimately, it was a brand new, truly like a kind of a, it, I felt like a teenager again, mm. but in a good way. <laughs> was it because of the, was it because of the fast? Um, it was because of all the work. Yeah. It was because of the fast, but also the tremendous amount of deep and personal work that I did, as, which included healing my sexuality um, from years of um, just some things that were pretty, mm. pretty harmful to it. Mm. Yes. So That's I beautiful. Thank you. Um, I see we're coming up on uh, a break again. Goes so fast. All right, but <laughs> we have we have so far touched on um, three of the four root identities: race, gender, um, and sexuality. Yeah. So now we got to talk about power because that's awesome. what's under the story. Awesome. That's perfect yeah. for our last segment. All right. <laughs> um, so we are speaking with Dr. Bree, and when we return, we're going to talk about personal power, self-sovereignty. Yes. Yeah. Awesome. All right. You're listening to freedom for humans. We will be right back. Follow us on Twitter at voice America TRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's voice America TRN. These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. Connect with us, and we'll connect with you. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is on LinkedIn. Get the first word about happenings with the network, where our next live event will be, and what's up with our hosts. Look up Voice America on LinkedIn. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com
You're listening to Giraffe Tango Octopus, Freedom for Humans. Have your own story or have questions for Kirsten or her guests? Join us on the show at 866-472-5788. That's 866-472-5788. Now back to the show. Welcome back to Freedom for Humans. This is Kirsten, your host, and I am here with Dr. Bree. Before the hello. hello, before the break, we were talking about sexuality, and then we gave a little preview um, of the um, fourth root identity. Yeah, power, power. So, <clears throat> this fourth part of your identity, you have to start with first understanding how these experiences and different aspects of your identity have impacted you. And I like to say, healing is not about feeling better, but it is about becoming better at feeling. And so you have to feel into these experiences and these stories that we um, really have just embedded and they've become a part of us. And the second thing that I wanna share is that trauma is not what happens to you. It's not the experiences that you had in, in your gender or in your sexuality. Trauma is the story you tell yourself after it's not what happens to you, it's the story you tell yourself after. And so that's where your power is and how you author and how you put things together because there's a huge difference between I'm tired of being sick, I don't wanna be sick anymore and I look forward to feeling better. Those two different ways of saying those that, that same truth really is what starts to either aid in our healing process or create trauma that we metastasize in our body. And so the stories, it's not that there are identities, it's that there are oftentimes stories that go unexamined because we're scared to change them because we're like, but that's true. That did happen to me, that's true. And Mm -hmm. two things can be true at the same time. You can have had a really awful relationship with your dad in your childhood and have a better one as adults, two things can be true at the same time. And having an improved relationship doesn't take away from the challenges that were in the relationship before. But we have to be able to see each other as new, which means we have to be able to see ourselves as new. Because discipline number two, you cannot have what you're not willing to become. And we have to really um, take time in our own healing journey to allow ourselves to become what we want from others. If you don't have good friends, it's because you have to deal with the truth, you're not a good friend. Mm. That reality is how you look at these root identities and you get back in your power. Because discipline number eight, you either get blame or your self-sovereignty, but you can't have both. You get blame or your personal power, but you can't have both. And so, you get to be right if it is the conditions of your world and other people, but you don't get peace. Your personal power is the only thing that can give you that. That there, wow! There was so much in there's so much in there about what happens to us, and then what we how we carry or Sorry. talk to ourselves about what has happened to us. And, um, you know, I was just reading something recently that really 
gives us each the latitude to determine what is trauma, what, what is trauma to us, right? It doesn't have to meet someone else's definition of traumatic, right? It never does. Right. So if something is traumatic for you, then it is traumatic. It doesn't matter that someone else says, well, that's no big deal. I had some 10 times worse (laughs) happen to me or whatever, you know. We actually do that to ourselves, though. We play, uh-huh. I like to call it, it's the trauma Olympics. You're like, wow, my best friend stopped talking to me and it 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 put me in a state of depression. And you're like, but I can't feel sad because <laughs> um, there are people starving and homeless. Like that, mm-hmm. doing that, it really minimizes your own heart. <laughs> mm-hmm. and And it corrodes your ability to have compassion for other people. Because you're using other people's story to to be right about your own unworthiness. Well, and it's a distraction, right? I mean, it's a, it's a sort of a distraction from your own hurt, the thing inside yeah. of you that is hurting, that needs compassion, mm-hmm. that is crying out for healing in some way. Yes. 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 So trauma, so if trauma is the story you tell after, there's only two things that you can do with trauma. You can either transform it or transfer it. You're going to pass it on to the people in your life unconsciously, or you're going to turn it into something beautiful. And the one thing about equity that we have to understand, real equity is creativity. Mm. Everybody gets it no matter what, no matter where. Everybody gets to be inspired in their life, right? And it's that creativity that helps you find ways to transform your story. Mm-hmm. But you have to sit still and feel through it, not think through it. You have to feel through your story for it to transform you. Yes. And, you know, when I started <laughs> sort of dismantling all of these long-held beliefs that turned out to not be true um, about me at all and all the labels and all the things that I thought about myself all just kind of fell away because they were in some way made up, Um, I began to experience creativity. And I had previously just told myself that I wasn't a creative person, that Mm. I just was, I was Spock, but I wasn't Kirk. What? And, and listen, we need you? both. We both need Spock and we need both Spock and Kirk. They can't function so. without each other, right? Yeah. Um, Captain Kirk was just locked away. He was <laughs> imprisoned somewhere in the bowels of the Enterprise, and Spock was on the bridge <laughs> almost all the time. And then I started just breaking everything apart, and I'm like, "Wait a minute, I'm creative. Come on." Well, here's the good news. Um, I love hearing you say this because when I met you, Kirsten, you were like a science. You were like you were like an artist trying to pass for a scientist. It was really cute. It was really cute. With your little with your little suit on, but then, <laughs> but then but then you slip on like red pumps. Like ain't nobody believing you a scientist. Like go be an artist. You were passing, so I never saw you <laughs> as as what you were trying to pass for. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. That's so funny. Um, okay. So an, the, another thing I want to um, circle back about in terms of trauma, and it's something that yeah. I've been 
experiencing over these last several years of healing, there are memories that they used to cause me so much pain. And I, now when I look back, I, I was cultivating those memories. Like I was revisiting them. You're practicing. Yes. I would revisit them. I would retell them. I would tell them to myself. I would tell them to others. Mm -hmm. I would maybe hyperbolize like, you know, like assign it like this value of, or this terribleness. And I didn't realize that I was kind of re-traumatizing myself or keeping it. Yeah. Like keeping it alive and like keeping it a part of my cells in a way. Mm -hmm. And when I stopped doing that and I did heal, like I'm not saying, oh, like I stopped and I flipped a switch and then whoo, it was gone. I, I worked on my healing, like a special project. Um, (laughs) but, but something happened that I didn't expect, which was that these, these memories, some of them began to just fade. Mm. Um, they begin to just stop. I'm sorry. No, I was going to say that fading. Yeah. It's called, it's called pruning. Oh. Pruning. It is actually a term used in neuroscience that that basically suggests that if you don't activate the same neural pathway, the same story, the brain will naturally prune it away. So what is what is what is a a, a belief? A belief is a thought that you keep practicing. Yes. So then, so then, what do we believe about truth? We believe some thoughts are truth because we've practiced them so much. We have the muscle memory for them to come up unconsciously. Yes, they're our default. Right? Yeah. yeah. So every our day if I practice brain. that I am not pretty, I can now go into any situation and at any moment have the unconscious thought about not being pretty. So I think mm-hmm. it's true. But here's another discipline. You cannot believe everything you think. You do not have to agree with your thoughts just because you're thinking it. <laughs> And that is an important part of starting to sit in your power, just because I think this. And so the other thing that I think is really cool that neuroscience suggests about the memory, and this is going to piss y'all off, but I'm going to share it because it is just what it is. We all have to deal with it. And that is the the, the myth about the memory. Um, when really every time we recall and tell a story, we lose up to 25% of the story of which we then creatively enthuse with imagination. All that to say, every time you tell your memory, it is less real. All that to say, <laughs> you are holding on to things that disconnect you from your humanness and the relationships and the people that you love that aren't even real anymore. So. I like to say that memories aren't real, but the way you felt is real. Mm-hmm. So your brain will just create a story to validate your sense of feeling that way. Like if you right. felt betrayed, you're going to come up with a story that yes. validates that. When the real work is understanding that, thank you, story, for holding this feeling that I can't release. And so now I'm going to do the work to release it by allowing myself to feel it. Because feelings just move. It's energy and motion, emotion. It is not feeling that becomes and creates mental health challenges for us. Yes. It's not yes. it's not 
not feeling how you want, how, not not wanting to feel how you actually feel is the problem. Anger right. ain't the problem. Not wanting to be angry is the problem. Right. So you got to get better at feeling. That's your power. And I love the expression feeling through. I often describe, <laughs> you know, allowing an emotion, however strong or intense it is to, to flow through me. And so if I don't try to smash it down or push it away, which doesn't, of course, smash it down or push it away, kind of just gets stored up in there. And then you have, you're carrying it, right? Um, yeah. Yeah. So I let it flow through me and it often, you know, it doesn't really take that long and no. <laughs> you don't, you don't die. I don't die. Nothing, you know, <laughs> and they go, oh my God, if I feel this, I'm going to, I'm going to spontaneously combust. No, you know. I don't die and it, it dissipates. And, um, <laughs> and in addition, we're, we're, we're coming up on the end of the show and I want to make sure you have time to tell people where to find you. Um, I do want to just say that in addition to those memories drifting away, the ones that I still have, I can recall for the purposes of learning and growing and sharing, but they don't hurt me anymore. Things I thought would always hurt me to think about don't hurt me anymore, which for me feels like real healing. It's freedom. Yes. For some people, it's hard to feel through things. And so this one tool has changed everything for me. Allow yourself to feel it and use simply the language. I look forward to feeling better. That's enough. That's enough. That is a wonderful place to leave this, this fun interview. Bree, tell everybody where they can find you. Well, jump on my website at drbree.com, D-R-E-B-R-E.com, or follow me across all social media platforms at I am Dr. Bree. Thank you so much, Dr. Bree. And thank you everyone for listening to Freedom for Humans. We do this show for you. And I hope you heard something today that can um, help you to move forward and feel better. Uh, you can find me at giraffetangleoctopus.com. You can book a free discovery session to get started on your journey to freedom. Love yourself, free yourself, you. be yourself, and dance your own tango. Thanks for listening to today's episode. We hope we have helped you learn to love yourself unconditionally and accept and celebrate everything that makes you, you. Tune in next Wednesday for another episode. And in the meantime, dance your own tango.